I wonder, is it well with your soul this morning? Easy to sing the words, isn't it? But it's good to ask the question. Am I right with God? Do I have peace with God? Have I been reconciled to God? As, as we know, the Bible says there's only one way to be reconciled to God, and that's to put your faith in the life, the person, and the work of the Lord Jesus. That's the only way you can be reconciled to God. That's the only way you can stand here today and sing, it's well with my soul. I want to read you a poem this morning. It's not one of my poems, but it's a good one. There was a victim in a cart, one day for to be hung, and his reprieve was granted, and the cart made forth to stand. Come marry a wife and save your life, the judge aloud did cry. Oh, why should I corrupt my life, the victim did reply. For here's a crowd of every sort, and why should I prevent their sport? The bargain's bad in in every part. The wife's the worst. Drive on the cart. So the the judge gives this guy who's about to be executed a choice. He says, I'm going to let you off if you get married. And the guy says, actually, both options are bad. The gibbet and the wife. But actually, the wife is worst. All these people have gathered to watch me being hung. So why should I prevent their fun? Go on, drive on the car. I'm going to be... I prefer to be hung than have a wife. I couldn't resist that poem. What an absolutely stupid, stupid man. Can the thought of marriage be really so horrific to any person that he would prefer to be hung than be married to a wife? Now, of course, it's a humorous poem. It's not supposed to be you know, a serious, somber piece of work. But imagine such a man who's just so horrified by the prospect of marriage to a woman that he would prefer to be strung up in front of all these people. I think it says more about the man than it does about the wife. And I think that wife that didn't get married to that man probably had what people would call a lucky escape from an absolute moron of a husband. But if that man were faced with the prospect of marrying a woman like the woman we're going to read about today, He wouldn't be horrified by the prospect. He would run with open arms and count his blessings every day of his life. The book of Proverbs, dear friends, is a repository, a storehouse of wisdom for all Christians, for all people, but particularly for young men. The book of Proverbs starts with a woman and it finishes with a woman. So, You've got this woman at the beginning of the book who is an adulteress. She is a harlot, to use an old-fashioned term. And in a sense, she personifies, she's like a, a personified image of foolishness and immorality and wickedness. So this is the woman who lures a young man to his doom. She seduces him, she uses her charm and her beauty, and she leads him astray. And I think the book of Proverbs would have us think about this as not as an actual woman, but as a personification of folly and foolishness and wickedness. And at the end of the book, there's this other woman, an ideal woman, beautiful woman, 
a capable, honourable, virtuous woman. Virtuous means that she has many good qualities. Proverbs poses a question to the young man. Which woman will you choose? Will you choose the woman of folly, the woman who seduces you, who, who promises much but delivers nothing at all except ruin and disgrace? Or will you choose the woman wisdom? The woman who will do you good all the days of your life. The woman who will put you in good stead for the future. The woman that will take care of you. And that's what wisdom does, doesn't it? We can follow the ways of this world and all its foolishness and its wickedness and its sin. And where does it lead to? Absolute ruin. But for short-term pleasure, people go after this because it's the easy option. They ruin their lives. The Bible would invite us to look for the wise woman, wisdom, to choose this woman who will do you good, who will bless you. But I think it would be wrong this morning for us to just to think about this woman in Proverbs 31 as just being a personification of wisdom. It, it is that, probably, but more than that, I think we can draw some lessons today about biblical womanhood. This is a celebration about the goodness of biblical womanhood. And this is something we badly need to hear. And badly need to hear taught about in churches in a world of so much confusion to do with gender and marriage and all these kinds of things. Everything is up for grabs in this day we live in. We need to get back to the word of God. We Christians need to be countercultural and say, I'm going to do things according to the word of God, not according to the ways of this world, the people I see all around me every day. Who's got the clicker? I'll say, can I, can I trust you to click this for me? Okay, there won't be too many clicks, just a few. Okay, thank you, Osema. Okay, things to note. Num- point number one, click, please, Osema. Thank you. This is an acrostic poem. So Proverbs 31, verses 10 to the end, is originally in the Hebrew language a poem. So it's an acrostic. That means that every line of the poem begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. That doesn't come across in English whatsoever, but that's the original Hebrew poem, and it was probably a very beautiful poem. So you can imagine an acrostic in English, A to Z. So, you know, a a godly wife is amazing, a godly wife is beautiful, a godly wife is caring, a godly wife is dutiful, a godly wife is E. Can someone suggest something for E? Excellent, thank you. That's like, that's an acrostic. So it starts with a letter of the alphabet. Easy to memorize. So the writer of this this, um, description of a beautiful woman, of a a virtuous woman, is not trying to build up a logical argument like Paul does in the book of Romans. He's stringing together a beautiful string of pearls, a beautiful picture. Point number two. This is a pen portrait of a fictional woman, I believe. It's not talking about a real person, which is good to know, isn't it, in case you feel inadequate. This woman, when you read it, she, she sounds too good to be true, doesn't she? So when I was waiting in the doctor's surgery recently, I was like flicking through the magazines looking for something to read. And you know, you know the kind of magazines you have in doctor's surgeries? There's always like the People's Friend and some golfing magazine from 10 years ago and some celebrity magazine. And I picked this up and there's always some interview with some actress who seems to be this kind of perfect woman who's got all her life um, doing activities and kind of... You say, well, she's like an actress, and she's got her own film studio, and she writes books, and she brings up five beautifully dressed children, and she, and she 
does this, that, and the other. And you think, where on earth does she get the time for this? And she still looks about 25 years old, even though she's about 50. Is this description of this woman in Proverbs like this, a kind of ideal, perfect super mum who does everything? We should all aspire to be like her because she's such an inspiration for women. Well, I know, because I'm married to a good and dutiful woman, that actually it's a struggle to be a mother, it's a struggle to be a woman, to work hard, to do your duties. And I know that many people would read this and feel inadequate and feel that, oh, this is impossible. I couldn't possibly be like this. My life is a mess. My, my house is a mess. I'm just struggling to get through a day. And I understand that. And that's why you need to know, I don't believe this is talking about a real person. It's talking about a fictional, idealized woman. Imagine sort of like, you know, the pinnacle, if you like, of Christian womanhood, godly womanhood. And this is not a checklist either. So girls, ladies, if you're here, you're ticking off the list. Well, I need to be like this, I need to be like... This, these, this is about a particular woman in a particular time, in a particular culture. A wealthy woman, a wife of the king. A wife who's got a prominent and important husband. Don't worry if you haven't planted a vineyard recently. <laughs> you say, oh, I'm a terrible failure, I haven't done half these things. Well, you don't need to. Because these, these things here, what's more important is the qualities, the character of this woman, which is timeless. And those activities will express themselves in different ways, in different cultures, in different family situations. From some, you might have a single mum, you might have a rich businesswoman, but they all have to work this out in their own contexts. But what's important today is not to focus on the individual activities this woman does, but the heart which is behind them, which drives her to do these things. Third point, please, Arsema. This passage is addressed primarily to men, not to women. This appears to be spoken by a godly woman, King Lemuel's mother. We don't even know who King Lemuel actually was. But it appears to have been spoken by his mother. And this is advice to a young man about the kind of, kinds of things that you should be looking for, he should be looking for when he considers a wife to marry. And also the kinds of attributes and characteristics that he should praise in his wife when he has found this godly woman and married her. The things that he should esteem in her, value in her and praise in her. Primarily it is a search list for young men and not a checklist for women, okay? You might be sitting here this morning, you might be completely tempted to switch off, because you might be saying to yourself, well, I, I, I never want to get married, or I don't think I'll ever get married, I've probably left it too late, or whatever. But it doesn't really matter whether you marry or not. If you are a woman of God, these attributes, these qualities are for you, even if you never marry, because these things honor God. Let's look at point number one. This passage describes the kind of wife a Christian man should pray for and seek after. So, as it seems to us, King Lemuel's mother sits down and she talks to her son and she gives him advice about marriage and about a potential wife. 
what a blessing to have a mother who takes this responsibility. She doesn't see it as beyond her remit to sit down with her son. We don't even know how old King Lemuel was. Presumably he was of age. To sit down with him and give him advice. Motherly advice about this most important decision. What a wise and godly woman King Lemuel's mother must have been to have insight about this matter. King Lemuel's mother, she knew the importance of getting this right. She knew how marriage to a good woman could bless her son, bless the kingdom, and how a bad marriage, a bad match can cause ruin and disgrace and all sorts of problems. A word for parents here today, and I say this quite sincerely. Where, where are our young people and children learning about marriage? Where are they learning about relationships? Who is teaching them these things? Are we making it our business as Christian parents to bring up our children and teach them biblical wisdom with regard to marriage? Or are we leaving it to someone else? I've been around churches a long time. I've seen many Christian families over the years. And I I want to say to you today, I think it's quite difficult for parents, actually, to get their heads around this idea that we should be teaching our children about marriage from a young age and building a biblical worldview in a very confusing world. Sometimes we parents, we just don't think our children are ready to hear about this. I'm not talking about the facts of life. I'm talking about marriage and relationships. We don't think our children are ready for this. But why shouldn't I start with my five-year-old, my six-year-old, and start teaching them at a young age about the goodness of God's ways? Is it really too young for them to understand? We cannot let our young people work this out for themselves. I always think it's very sad when you meet Christian parents whose children grow up and they have such a strained relationship with their, with their parents, with their children, that they cannot really give any input and guidance in this matter of relationships. You know what I pray for? I pray that my son and daughter grow up with such a close relationship with me that they can always come to me and they can always talk about what's on their hearts. And especially in this area of marriage, when my daughter, who is under my protection until the day I walk her up that aisle, give her to another man, a godly man, by God's grace, to look after. On that day, my responsibility is finished as a father. But until that day, I pray I have a relationship with my daughter that I can nurture her and speak to her. She comes to me and says, Daddy, this, this young man wants to take me out, and I can talk to her and advise her, and she trusts my guidance and my judgment rather than just going off and doing things that I have no clue about. That's what I pray for. I can't make that happen, but by God's grace, that's what I pray for. Because that's my responsibility. Let's talk about relationships, marriage from a young age. If you have a girl or daughter, your responsibility, by God's grace, is to teach her about being a godly woman to train her, to to model what being a godly woman is like. If you have a son, 
your duty as a Christian, I believe, our duty is to teach him to be a godly man, to make wise decisions with regard to a future wife, to see marriage as a good and noble thing. Let me say for a minute, Scripture does say that marriage is not for everybody. There are some people who are called to be single, and if you are single, you are not a second-class citizen in God's kingdom. There is a blessing in singleness. But we should be promoting marriage, Christian marriage and Christian godliness in relationships. I want you, if you're a mother, to think about King Lemuel's mother and her diligence and her hard work in teaching her son about this important matter. And I'm sure she was a good model herself of the kind of attributes she was recommending to her son. Do you pray for your children about marriage? Do you pray for the children of the church that they might meet future spouses who are godly? Do you pray with your children about this? I pray with my daughter. I say, say, Lord, we pray for Lilia's future husband. If she is to have a husband, we pray even now that you would prepare him to be worthy of a woman who is godly. I think it can be awkward to do this, but why shouldn't we do this from a young age? You want your children to be happy and blessed, don't you? Every parent wants that for their children. I want my daughter to be an excellent wife. I want my daughter to be a virtuous wife. I want my daughter to live a fruitful and productive life serving the Lord God. That is by grace. I can't make that happen, but I pray for that. And I'm going to do my level best to train her in those ways. And of course, I make many mistakes and fall short along the way. I want my son to have an excellent wife. I want my son to have a wife just like this woman in Proverbs 31. Obviously, she won't be perfect. We marry sinners, don't we, fellow sinners? We're sinners, we marry fellow sinners. But that's my ambition for him. If God is going to give him a wife, I want her to be an excellent wife, a woman who fears the Lord. Good relationships in the church are very, very good. But bad relationships ruin lives. We need to get this right. We need discernment, we need wisdom, we need grace. There is too much at stake to mess around in this area. Number two, please, Arsema. This passage gives a guide and a goal for the Christian woman, showing the kind of character she should have as she fears and follows the Lord. And as I said a moment ago, this is not just for married women or women who will be married, it's for all women. So what does the word say? Verse 10, a wife of noble character who can find... Rhetorical question, who can find a wife like that? doesn't mean that you can't find a wife like that. There are such women. I know many women in the church like that, but they're few and far between. When you find someone like this, you say, praise God. What a precious find. She's more value than rubies. She's, she's worth more than rubies. She's worth her weight in gold. The, the man who finds a wife, a godly wife, hits the jackpot. He's found a good thing. He's been blessed by God. Let's look at some of the, the character, character traits of this godly woman. And once again, let me say, this is an ideal. We all fall short. But these qualities should be there in some measure. 
So first of all, she is a prudent wife. We don't use that word very often. She is a wise woman. She's able to make wise judgments and wise decisions. The opposite of prudence is recklessness and foolishness. So look at verse 18. What does she do? She, she, she sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. That reminds me very much of the virgins. Remember the parable of the virgins I preached about a few months ago where their lamps didn't go out because they were prepared. They were diligent. They were wise. They made sure they had enough oil to last them the night. This woman makes wise choices. She's discerning. She's also got a good business head on her. So look at verse 16. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She's a woman who's engaging in business. Once again, that's not for everybody. But that's the kind of thing she can do because she is prudent. She's wise. She's got her head screwed on. How we need prudence. We need it as men. Women need it as well. Are you the kind of woman that is training to be prudent? And I don't mean this in a patronizing way, but a prudent woman can sew on a button and mend a sock. She can organize a home. She can get ready on time in the morning. She can care for children. She can use a tool. And if she doesn't know how to use it, she'll learn how to use it. Sometimes I come home and find Anya doing DIY at home. Like, what are you doing? Just thought I'd do some rewiring at home, you know. (laughs) Sometimes it's a disaster, but she can do it better than me. But she's prudent. Prudent woman. She's not... Wasting money and wasting time, she knows what she's doing. And if she doesn't know something, she'll learn it. Plenty of YouTube tutorials around. We need a bit of practical wisdom in the church, don't we? She knows how to feed a family on a budget. On a tight budget. She can use her money wisely and not squander it. That's the kind of things that a prudent woman does. She's also, if you notice, quite family-focused as well. So, although she's doing lots of different activities, her heart's focus is on her family and the good of her family. Verse 12, she brings her husband good, not harm, all the days of her life. There is a great dignity about being a woman who has a family focus. We need to hear this. You may have a job, you may go out to work, that's absolutely fine. But your focus should be on your family, the good of your family, the well-being of your family, the provision for your family. You should not be just pursuing your own agenda because of some misguided sense of self-worth and self-entitlement. You should be serving your family and doing good and bringing value to that family and to your husband if you have one. We need to celebrate the joy and the beauty of homemaking. It's not a... It's not a demeaning thing. It's a wonderful and blessed thing to bring up children in the fear of the Lord. Despite what the media might say. Although this woman is family focused, she's not inward looking or insular like some people. She's outward looking. She's charitable. She's kind. A godly woman, a virtuous woman, looks beyond her own family circle. And she looks out to the needs of others and she's concerned about them. She's compassionate because she has the love of God in her heart. Look in verse 20. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. 
This woman is a woman of, of high standing in the community, but she's not too proud to associate with people from low, with low position. From low position, doesn't doesn't the New Testament say something about that? Don't be proud. Don't be unwilling to associate with people from low position. This woman is concerned about the poor. She has compassion. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That she's not a selfish woman who's just concerned about her home and nothing else and her children. She's looking outward to bless the needs of those who are less blessed than she is. She has a kind and generous and caring spirit. She's like Dorcas in the New Testament who was constantly making clothes for women in the church. She was a widow. She was blessing other people with her talents and skills and gifts. And this woman in Proverbs 31, she's, she's if nothing but hardworking, isn't she? She's hardworking. She's industrious. She's not just gadding about with nothing much to do. She's not one of these kept women who just sits at home all day and just faffs around with people, with friends. She's actually doing something productive with her life. She does not fill her days with vanity or self-indulgence. She's productive. She's not obsessed with me time. We always hear this, don't we? And it is good, it is good, women, to have some time to refresh your soul and be with the Lord. Go to the gym if that's what you want to do. Go for a walk. Have a coffee with a friend. But this woman, is, this woman gets the balance right, doesn't she? She's not constantly just sitting around being idle while her husband works. She's not a time waster. She fills her days with useful, productive activity. Her house isn't a mess while she sits there watching soap operas and the shopping channel and all these kind of devices for wasting time. And when she works, she's not sloppy or negligent. She doesn't do half a job. It says in verse 17, she sets about her work vigorously. Vigorously, with energy, with effort. Verse 27 says this, she's, she watches over the affairs of her household. She doesn't just respond to situation. She's actively watching her household like a hawk, watching over it, looking to meet the needs of her family and to serve them. Look at verse 11. It says this, her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. Let's read the next verse again. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. So the husband of this virtuous woman, he has every confidence that while he goes about his business, she will go about her business and go about it well. He knows that she will not waste time or family money that he's worked for or she's worked for. This woman does not undermine her husband. She does not pull in a different direction from him. She doesn't try and rule over him or usurp his God-given leadership authority in the home. She honours him. She doesn't try to manipulate him. Rather, she supports him. She encourages him. They don't work against each other. They work together. They have different roles, but they're working together for the cause of the gospel. They have unity of purpose. Dear friends, such a wife is the crown of her husband. She's not... A little woman in the shadows. She is the thing that he is grateful for. The person that he is so grateful for. He fates her. He parades her. 
He's proud of her in a right way. She's his greatest friend, greatest companion, the greatest asset, the greatest blessing of his life. They complement each other well. When I say they compliment, they don't just give each other compliments, pay each other compliments, they complement each other. They go well together, even though they are different. And she faithfully represents her husband. She's like an ambassador for the family, and he has full confidence that she will represent the family well in the public setting. She is like a signet ring on his finger. She is a help me, going right back to Genesis, the original plan and intention for the wife to be a helper suitable for her husband. We see something here that's been restored and brought back to the, the original plan and purposes of God, that harmony in marriage. Verse 23 says this, her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat amongst the elders of the land. The city gate in ancient Israel was the place where business was transacted, where important men would gather to discuss matters like the city council, but also to trade and do business. Her husband is a noble man. He is respected because his wife takes care of the home. He's not concerned about negligence or sloppiness or his children not being clothed properly. He can focus on his important business with the confidence of knowing that his wife is taking care of things. She's managing things well. But he's also respected and honoured because of his reputation and his wife's reputation. Let me ask you this question. Would this man be just as respected by his peers, by the other eminent men of the city, if his wife had a bad reputation? If she was well known to be a lazy, foolish woman, if she dressed immodestly, or she was bad-tempered and had a harsh tongue on her, if she was known as a a money-grabbing gold digger, if that was her reputation, would he be as respected by his friends and his peers and his colleagues? I think the answer is no. He is respected because it's well known that his wife is a noble woman and she is the talk of the town. She has a good reputation. Because of that, this man's status goes up, head and shoulders above his peers because he has a godly wife. He has full confidence in her that she will not make him a laughing stock amongst his friends. That's a very, very damaging thing to do if you're a woman, a wife, to to belittle your husband in front of other people, to criticize him, to mock him, to talk down of him like he's some useless lummox that you can just mock with your friends. This man is blessed because he knows his wife won't show him up. She won't embarrass him. She won't disgrace him. It's very difficult for a man to be respected by his friends if his wife has a bad reputation. That's why in the New Testament, elders, wives, are supposed to be virtuous women. Because how can you lead a church if your wife has a bad reputation? Once I went somewhere to another church far, far from here, and I remember the the pastor's wife came into the, into the church and she was dressed so immodestly that I didn't even want to be in that building. I thought, my goodness. Not wanting to be judgmental, but I, d- I don't need to see this on Sunday morning. And that man, I don't know what that man felt about that. Perhaps he even enjoyed having a beautiful wife to show her off. But 
To be honest, I, I felt sorry for that man because his wife is not... She's going to get a reputation if she dresses like that regularly. And not a good reputation. She's not bringing honor to her husband. She's not being chaste and modest. How wonderful to know that my wife won't come to church and dress in a manner that will disgrace me or embarrass me. Right at the end of this, it says this, doesn't it? Give her the reward she has earned and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. So whether, whether it's the husband himself who is praising his wife and speaking well of her at the city gate, or whether it's the other men of the town who are saying, what a wonderful wife Lemuel has. Isn't she a good woman? But she's praised publicly. She has a good reputation. Also, she's a dignified woman. Look at verse 25. She's clothed not just with fine linen, she's clothed with strength and dignity. Dear friends, there is a proper and a right way for Christians to behave. There is a dignity. We're not talking about keeping up appearances. We're not talking about pride or legalism. There is a right way for Christians to behave. A way which is worthy of our calling as Christians. And sometimes we sadly act in ways which are not worthy of our calling, don't we? Undignified ways. Unedifying ways. Decency. Propriety. Self-respect, dignity, these are good things for all of us, for men and for women. But when you see a woman, a dignified woman who has this Christian dignity about her, the unfading beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight, isn't that a beautiful thing? This woman has this kind of queen-like dignity about her, not being proud or haughty, but just this kind of quiet, Modest dignity. You think this is a woman I can respect. This woman also doesn't fear the future. Like those virgins in the parable, she was prepared for difficult days to come. So, where's the verse about the winter? Let me just find it for you. 21, thank you, Ray. I need to get my eyes tested, really. When it snows, she has no fear for her household. But all of them are clothed in scarlet. Because this woman, has, she's not so stupid. She hasn't foreseen that the winter will come after the autumn. Oh my goodness, I didn't expect that to happen. Who could have predicted that? She knows the winter's coming. What do you do in autumn? You prepare for the winter. Okay, I'm going to make clothes for my family. She's not like those virgins who are suddenly panicking when the, when the bridegroom comes. They're, they're prepared, they're ready for whatever comes. And it also has a different meaning as well, I believe. This woman doesn't fear the future. Look at verse 25. She can laugh at the days to come. What does that mean? Well, I believe it means this, that she can look forward to the future and say, you know what, I'm going to get old one day. The days we live in are uncertain, but you know what, I trust my God. Whatever happens, I'm going to walk with him and he will take care of me, my family. I trust in the promises of God. So I don't fear the future. In fact, I can laugh at the future. Whatever it brings, bring it on. Because my God is with me. My God will help me. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Afraid of the future? God can give you peace about the future. Verse 26. She speaks wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. This woman 
is marked by godly speech. She's not a gossip. She's not a slanderer. She doesn't talk about foolish and frivolous things, as people do. Isn't it a sad thing when you get together and you hear a load of people talking and just talk about absolute frivolity and stupid, meaningless, idle chatter? But this woman is marked by rich morsels of godliness from her tongue. She's steeped in the word of God. And people around her are blessed by receiving these morsels of truth, wisdom that she's gained. And I pray that if you're an older woman here who's lived a bit of life, who's been around, around a bit, and you know, that you have that wisdom of life, a life serving the Lord to be able to enrich younger women and teach them and train them in the manner of Titus too to love their husbands, to bring up children. Be wise in your words, dear sister. And let's talk about beauty. So this is, I've got to be a bit careful with how I put this, okay? So physical beauty, finding someone attractive is a good thing. Beauty is a gift of God. God will never put you together with someone that you don't find attractive, Okay? Even if you're the only person that finds them attractive, you will find them attractive. Okay? So don't go away thinking, oh, I need to, need to marry someone that I don't find attractive at all, but they're godly, because God will make them attractive for you. And when you're 80 years old and they're still alive, they'll still be beautiful for you. I believe that. But physical beauty in itself is not enough to make a good match. Because a woman is beautiful does not mean that she is the wife for you. The, the prostitute, the immoral woman at the beginning of Proverbs was very beautiful, no doubt, and she had a lot of charm. She had charm in spades, and she knew how to use it. And charm can be a very dangerous thing because it's very seductive and it's very manipulative, and it causes otherwise sensible men to turn into gibbering idiots who do anything. <laughs> anything. I've seen it happen. I've seen men. You, you, they, they seem to, have to be quite normal, and suddenly they kind of become like this simpering fool. You think, what's gone on with you? What's happened to you? Oh, this girl, this girl. How ridiculous. It's almost like they'll do anything. You tell them to walk off beachy head, they'll do it for this girl. We need to be careful of charm and beauty, don't we? It can lead to great downfall. Don't be like Samson, who just, like, like, King Lemuel's mother warned him about, you know, king's strength being sacked by ungodly women, by foolish liaisons with, you know, Samson had more women than you could shake a stick at. He had a huge amount of women in his palace. But it was his ruin and his downfall. He hadn't exercised wisdom. He would have been better off with one wife, one godly woman like this. That would have served him better than all these concubines and wives that led him astray and led his heart away from the Lord. Let me tell you this, young men. Let me tell you this quite honestly. It's not actually that nice to be married to somebody who looks nice but isn't actually a nice person. Okay? You want a trophy wife? You want someone you can show off to your mates about? Well, that, that will be fine for a while, but if they're not a nice person, and not a godly person, actually you are going to end up a loser, and you're going to end up messing up your life. So exercise wisdom. And beauty is fleeting. The word says it here, beauty is fleeting. Charm is deceptive, charm is a lie. 
Beauty is fleeting. Let me tell you something today which you cannot argue with. No matter how beautiful you may be today, you know what's coming, don't you? (laughs) In 70, 80 years, you are not going to look the same as you do now. You're not going to look 25 anymore, okay? The battle to stay looking young is one you won't win, okay? Millions of pounds are spent on plastic surgery, cosmetic surgery every year, beauty products. The beauty industry is a massive industry. And the heart of it is because people basically don't want to look old. A godly woman understands that beauty is fleeting. Beauty is good, but it won't last. Don't make beauty your idol. Please, don't spend hours and hours in front of the mirror putting on your makeup. Spend hours in the Word of God instead. Nothing wrong with looking nice. And if you're a godly man, if you're a godly man, don't look for a woman who's obsessed with beauty and her looks and just vain, preening herself in front of the mirror. Don't do that. Look for the heart, look for these characteristics, this godliness. That will serve you better, young man, in the long run. And this woman, most importantly, this is, this is the crux of it. This is the absolute heart of this passage. This woman, she has all these good qualities. Why? Because she fears the Lord. Look at verse 30. Charm is deceptive, but beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Dear friends, there are many, many fine qualities to look for in a spouse. But the most important, the most fundamental is fear of the Lord. Not just somebody who says they fear the Lord. Not just somebody who goes to church or says they're a Christian. But somebody who proves by their life and conduct and behavior and character that they fear the Lord. They respect the Lord. They honor the Lord. They love the Lord. Why would you want to, to yoke yourself together with someone in this close marriage, lifelong partnership with somebody who doesn't fear the Lord? Oh, he, he believes in God in his own way, or she believes in God in her own way, but that's not the same as fearing the Lord. This woman, all her good deeds, all her virtue flows from the fact that she loves the Lord. She fears the Lord. She wants to honor the Lord. Her life is a living sacrifice for the Lord. And more important to her than praising, than supporting her husband or serving him is serving the Lord and doing this because she honors him and fears him. So the first thing you should ask in looking for a spouse, for a future wife or a future husband, is do they fear the Lord? Let me speak to the young women here today, unmarried women. We've looked at these good qualities these wonderful qualities of this woman, is this the kind of woman you aspire to be? If you want a good husband, if you want a godly husband, you better make sure that these qualities are evident in your life because if you're foolish or ungodly, that's exactly the kind of man you're going to attract. I want to commend to you this godly wife, this virtuous wife. There is nothing at all, in my opinion, demeaning about this woman. It's not a life of drudgery. It's not a a second-class life. She's not a little woman in the shadows. She's an enormously wonderful figure 
who works hard, is productive. She's not living in the shadow of men. She's not abused. She's wonderfully praised and appreciated by the men in her life, particularly her husband. And you get the sense of richness and contentment. This is a happy woman. She's found her place serving God. Her home is happy and blessed. She's a woman of substance. I don't, I don't really see how anybody can look at this picture and say, wow, what a horrible, demeaning picture of women. Rather, it, it affirms them as the crown of the husband. Beautiful partnership. And such a woman, she joins the ranks of the many virtuous, good, godly women in Scripture. Ruth, Abigail, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Esther. These women were beautiful, not just physically beautiful, but they had the godliness, the fear of the Lord. But there's also another woman in the Bible, the woman talks about the woman Jezebel. Wicked, manipulative woman who led her husband astray. She was an idolater, idolater. She worshipped idols. Praise God. I look around, I see women in this room. I think that you are one of these women. As imperfect as we all are, you are virtuous. I see many of these good qualities, whether you're married or not. I thank God for them. Final point, please, Arsema. This passage, now this, this, is, this is a bit of a curveball. You might not have thought of this. This passage reminds the Christian man that he must walk in the fear and wisdom of God so that he will be worthy of, a, worthy of and compatible with such a virtuous woman. So young men, do you aspire to have a wife like this? If God gives you the gift of marriage, is this the kind of woman you want to marry? I hope these are the qualities you're looking for. But there's something for you here that you might have thought of. Are you the kind of man who is worthy of a woman like this? What a horrible picture it would be if this godly, virtuous woman were to marry a man who was foolish and ungodly, and showed no appreciation of her many talents and hard work. Think about Nabal the fool. You remember in, at the time of David, there was this ungodly, horrible man, Nabal. He was mean, he was nasty. David came there one day, he wouldn't help David. He had a beautiful, virtuous wife, Abigail. You think, how on earth did they get together? What an odd match. Don't let that be you. If you are a foolish man, an immature man who cannot provide for a family and cannot work hard and cannot appreciate women and treat them with respect, don't even think about getting near a woman like this. Leave her to someone who is worthy of her. To be honest, if she's, if she's as godly as this, she won't be interested in you anyway. Let me say this, it may be that you have ended up in life with a husband who is foolish and doesn't love the Lord. And you are not to despise him. You won't do any good at all. You won't honour the Lord and you won't help your family by despising him, by mocking him, by belittling him. What you need to do if you're in that situation, if you're a godly woman, is to win him. Win him by showing love and respect. When you see something encouraging that he's doing, encourage him. And say, that was very good, I appreciate you doing that. And when, most men, when they hear encouragement from a woman, their heart soars. 
And they, they're encouraged to continue doing those things. That's what you should be doing. May God give you the grace to win her, to win him. Finally, just to finish, what is the proper outcome of all this? Look at verse 28. Her children arise and they call her blessed, blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. This woman's children grow up. They rise up. They stand up publicly to say, my mother is a blessed woman. They praise her qualities, her selflessness, her service, her wisdom. They publicly honor her and speak well of her. Young people, disrespect to your parents, even older people for that matter, talking about your parents disrespectfully, mocking them, belittling them, treating them as though they don't know anything at all, does not please the Lord. It's very easy to see our parents' imperfections. Have you ever thought about encouraging your parents? I never did this when I was growing up. I never once said to my mother, who was a godly woman, is a godly woman, Mom, can I pray with you? Can I pray for you? If my daughter came to me and said, Daddy, can I pray? My, she actually prayed for me in the car today on the way, pray for my sermon today. I'd say, Lord, you know what? It's such a precious thing when children come to their parents and say, Lord, can I pray for you? Your task is difficult. You have a big responsibility before the Lord to bring me up. Let me pray for you. Let me support you. Let me make your job easier. My heart would melt if my children were to come to me and pray for me in my task of being a parent. Don't mock your parents. Respect them, even if they're not perfect. Look at this woman. Her husband has nothing but good to say about her. He also rises up to honour her. So at the city gate with his friends, he speaks well of her, he praises her. So many men take their wives for granted. So many men adopt a critical, nitpicking attitude. I have inherited from my, my family a nitpicking, critical spirit. And I find myself often being critical and not showing appreciation. And I repent of that. Because we should be speaking well of each other speaking good things to each other, encouragement. And my wife needs encouragement. Let me read you this quote from Spurgeon. A true wife is her husband's better half, his lump of delight, his flower of beauty, his guardian angel and his heart's treasure. If you're a godly man, you've been blessed with a godly woman. You can say, My wife is my greatest treasure, my greatest asset, my greatest blessing after the Lord himself. If you haven't got a godly wife, pray for her, speak well of her, encourage her. Maybe you'll win her. And if you never get a godly husband or a wife or any wife or any husband, that's also fine as well. Serve the Lord. Be grateful to the calling to which he has called you. But friends, godly women should be respected. They should be affirmed. They should be encouraged. And not just your own wife. In the church, we should have a culture of honour where we encourage each other, we speak well of each other, especially godly women. And we don't just praise these women, we praise the God who made them and brought them to us. And that's what these women would want us to do. Any godly woman would say, don't praise me, praise God. Because I'm only who I am, I'm only able to be who I am because God has enabled me and given me strength. No matter how good your wife is or your husband is, they're still a fellow, fellow sinner. They're not an ideal. You don't get to marry Proverbs 31 woman. Okay? You marry 
a flawed person just like you. So don't go home and hold this up and say to your wife, you're not like this, you're not like this. That's what the sinful heart does, doesn't it? You get self-righteous. You take the word of God and start beating people with it. Rather than saying, you know, am I a, am I a worthy man for my wife? Actually. Really? Am I? Let me finish with this. Another king was looking for a bride. This king did not find a worthy woman. He couldn't find a worthy woman, a worthy bride. So he took a very unworthy one, one that was absolutely horrible in all sorts of ways. But he loved her and he made her worthy. He made her worthy, paid a ransom for her paid his own blood to win her. He didn't love her because she was worthy. She became worthy because he loved her. She's worth more to him than rubies. And she, out of her obedience and love to him, she keeps her lamp shining. She's trustworthy. She's wise. She helps the poor and needy. She fears the Lord. She's clothed in the armor of strength. She's not idle. She bears much fruit, just like this woman in Proverbs 31. She's blessed. This, of course, is our King Jesus, and this is the church. Such a precious thing to the Lord Jesus, the church of Jesus Christ, his bride that he's made worthy, that he's bought with his blood and made into a fruitful, beautiful bride fit for his son. God's made for his son Jesus. And we, by grace, Christian people, are part of that bride, absolutely beloved. And may we be worthy as Christians to be part of that bride, serving our King. Lord, who is sufficient for these things, Lord? All of us are sinners. All of us have done wrong. Please forgive us for not respecting the godly women you've given us, for not perhaps being the godly women that you've made us to be. Pray, Lord, you would help us to esteem marriage and esteem womanhood and manhood as well. And help us to do things according to your, your way, which is the best way to live in this messed up world. And Lord, I pray for those particularly who are, who are in difficult family situations. Lord, whether the husband or wife isn't a Christian, is not virtuous, we pray that you would bless them and help them to win their husbands or their wives for you by the conduct of their lives. We thank you that you love the church. You lay down your life for her. And by grace, we are part of that. Bless you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.